Welcome. Welcome to Pillar Church on this rainy Sunday. So thanks for braving the weather and coming out. Uh, my name is Kyle. I, uh, I love serving here. I've been um, just a member here for about two and a half years, and I'm just filling in for John. So if you're new here, I am not the guy. <laughs> I'm not. Um, no, I, I just have the humble uh, privilege of coming up here every once in a while and presenting God's Word, which I'm excited to do as we continue on in our sermon series through James. Uh, today we're going to be looking at James 1. So if you have your Bibles with you, if you can just turn to them, uh, and then we can pray and get started. I'm going to move a little bit forward, feel like I'm really far back. So James 1, awesome. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that once again we get to gather together here and at Pillar and really just gather as one under the banner of the gospel that we in here are, are needy uh, for you and your transforming power of your spirit to work within us, that we can live lives of wholeness, Lord, that um, the fractured, broken life of our rebellion you've called us out of, and God, I just ask today you would remind us of the good things we have in that gospel. And so, Lord, would you um, be with me in my words? May they honor you, and Lord, may any truth that is spoken just be implanted in the hearts of us today so that we can live faithfully to you uh, through the wisdom of James. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All righty. So popular among this church, and I'm sure if I asked for a raise of hands, many would raise their hands. Uh, C.S. Lewis, he, he's an author. He lived a, a long time ago, died a long time ago, but um, very popular book series called The Chronicles of Narnia. I'm sure a lot of you guys have heard of that. If you're a theology buff, you might have heard of Mere Christianity or some of his other heavyweight titles. Uh, one thing that's little known, though, is a book series he wrote in the 1940s. It's called uh, The Space Trilogy. Now, The Space Trilogy, uh, little known, little read, but really good. And in that Space Trilogy, Lewis does a good job at capturing a picture of the human existence on Earth. And he does it in the way of fantasy, which I'll leave out all the science fiction and just say this, that in the story of that hideous strength, Lewis describes a fallen angel who comes into humanity and he tempts humans to uh, rebel against their creator. And so the humans give in, they choose to rebel, and that rebellion leads to catastrophic, con catastrophic consequences on the earth and in the human race as a whole. Now, Lewis, uh, he was a Christian, so his content there isn't original necessarily. But what, uh, what he does is he just really grabs this idea of what it is to be broken because of rebellion. And so Lewis, he uses this adjective, uh, the word bent, to describe humans in his story. So you could say like humans are bent in their rebellion, or you could say fractured. So humans are fractured. And what happens is the humans no longer live within the natural laws of their creator. They choose to go among their, in their own preferences to live however they want, and disorder and chaos ensues. And so the humans, they could set up governments and they could set up rules and regulations, but it would do nothing to really restrain and constrain the heart. No changes. And so what would happen in the story uh, for Lewis is that the creator would have to intervene in the world to set everything right. And what this story does, that hideous strength and the other ones, is it points us to the Christian hope in the gospel. It points us to the good news. 
You see, like uh, humans in Lewis's story, because of our sin that we've chosen uh, to partake in, we all have this bent or fractured nature like Lewis described. And we are powerless in ourselves to make ourselves whole out of that. And what will happen outside of Christ is that fracturing will just lead to more and more fracturing. You see it practically in the way of sin that, take lying for example, if you've ever engaged in that, how easy it is to just continue lying. Or if you have bitter resentment in your heart towards someone out of the fractured nature, it leads to more and more resentment. Sin just begets more and more sin. And so that's what the fractured nature is outside of Christ. And we could call it like a progressive degeneration. And our only hope is God, like in Lewis's story, intervening on our behalf and entering our world. And lucky for us, like God did that. He entered into fractured communities. He entered into fractured people into their story and sent his son Jesus that through his life, death, and resurrection and our faith in him, God would begin to recreate the world that he would begin to make fractured people whole. So beginning with reconciling fractured rebels to himself, through their faith in God's promises, God would proclaim us in Christ, no longer fractured, but whole. And through his spirit, he would transform us to live lives not of fracturing and more sin, but rather lives of wholeness. And that's the good news. That in our sin, we're fractured beings. God intervenes. He declares us whole and he gives us his spirit to be that way. But we would be kidding ourselves if we didn't realize we still struggle against a fractured nature. That there's still something inside of us that draws us away from God's good word and and his preferences and leads us to our own. We could say we're in in between, between God's promise of you are whole in Christ. And we live between the fulfilled promise of being completely whole, somewhere in the in-between, and it's uncomfortable. God is making us whole through the power of his spirit. And that's where James comes in. You see, James, uh, as we're going to read today, James is writing to a community spread out in the context of the gospel. So they're not all together anymore. They've spread out. They've dealt with some things, persecution and such. And they're living their new identity in Christ. And so they know that God has intervened on their behalf, that God has proclaimed them whole, but they also are dealing with this fractured nature still. And James, being one of the fathers of the churches, writes this book of wisdom to show them how to live the whole life. He instructs Christians with this wisdom literature how to live out of the fractured life and into the wholeness God has proclaimed for us. But we have to be careful because you can read James, and it'll, you'll go through it, and it'll seem like a lot of rules, a lot of regulations, a lot of do's and don'ts. And so we have to understand this context of the gospel, of what God has done on our behalf and how he has filled us in our spirit, with his spirit. Because if not, we run into the danger of reading James as just a set of morals and principles that'll do nothing to transform us. Rather, we need his spirit. We need what Jesus has purchased for us so we can apply this wisdom and go on to wholeness. So with the gospel context in mind, let's read our passage today. So James 1, 19, we're gonna read through 27. It says this, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness 
and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. It's the very word of God. So James 1 as I said, you, you can look at it and you can see some principles for life, being quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, putting off moral filth and all the rest. But what's the context? What, is James fractured in his, in his way of presenting us the wisdom? I don't think he is because so far in James 1, James has presented that God sends trials into the lives of individuals, into the lives of his children, So this good, loving father adopts us into his family and sends us trials. And the natural response is like, hey, God, I don't really like that. What are you doing? And what God is doing, as James shows in 1, uh, verse 2 through 4, he says that God's trials are meant to bring us to matureness or maturity. They're meant to bring us to wholeness, to completeness. So as fractured individuals reconciled in Christ, God sends trials to make us more and more like him, more and more whole. Going on, he presents the fact that we might not understand the trials that God's putting us in. And in verses five through eight, he says, we can ask God for wisdom. That when trials come, we might not understand them. Pray to God that he would give you wisdom. And if you believe that he will, he will. And then James presented two areas of trial for the people. He presented poverty and riches as two areas of trial, because both of those areas test us to take our eyes off of God and place them on our situation. So James said, if, if you're poor, boast in your exaltation. Put your eyes back on Christ and what he's going to give to you at the end. And he says, if you're rich, boast in your humiliation. Your riches are just going to fade. He says, put your eyes back on Christ. So early on, James is presenting us with wisdom from trials. And knowing that the trials are hard, James encourages us in verse 12. He says, trials are hard, but the reward for obedience in our trials is great. He calls it a crown of life. And going on, knowing that the trials are difficult, knowing that the reward is great, he does, uh, he encourages us against what is natural. And that is that when we are being tested and when we are put under, under trials, there's a temptation to blame God for it. Uh, when we face temptation, it's easy to say, God is tempting me. Why would he put, this, put me through this? And what James says is like, no, look at God. He is perfect. He is the giver of good gifts. So if your trials come, it's a perfect gift. Your temptation is coming because of your evil desires within you. So James says, God is the giver of perfect gifts. And then he shows us the one perfect gift that we can keep our eyes on. And it's this. In verse 18, He says, of his own will, God brought us forth, meaning gave us new life by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation or new creation. So what James is saying is like, look, trials are tough. 
It's easy to feel like to be tempted and then blame God for it. He's like, no, God is a good giver of perfect gifts. And if you want proof of it, look to your transformation. Look to your new life, how God gave you new life by his word. And so that's the context. And so when we look at verse 19 of our text today, it says, know this, brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And so what are we to be quick to hear? And I'll submit to you that these verses, 18 and 19, are very closely connected, that we are to be quick under our trials and in our tests to listen to the word of truth, to listen to God's word. Because in our trials, many opinions and voices come, especially ours. They come, and they're not always truthful, but James tells us what is the word of God. It never changes. His word is always truthful. It always brings life. And it leads us to more and more completion. So we're to be quick to hear the word, whether it's popular or not. And sometimes it's not, especially in the heat of the moment. Like I, I've been married, my wife and I now, for a year. And we've had our fair shares of trials as far as disagreements. You know, we're becoming one, figuring out what she likes and what I like. And in the, in the midst of maybe, maybe an argument or a disagreement, my natural inclination is to trust my feelings and my instincts and my interpretations of the situation. And what God's word does, if you read Ephesians 6, is God calls me in his word to put aside my life. He says, husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and died for. So I'm to die to my instincts. I'm to die to my interpretations. I'm to submit myself to the word and love my wife. So there's a trial there. And the word of God speaks to it. But the question is, am I going to be quick to hear? Am I to be quick to listen to it? Trials like these uh, test us. But the word of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, transforms us and allows us to live in wholeness and wisdom. Because if I act out of my own instincts, if I act out of my own voice, it's only going to lead to more and more fracturing. And so attached to being quick to hear the word, we're to be slow to speak. Which in our trials, that's the one thing we are not slow to do. We are quick to speak. We are quick to pass judgments on our situations. A test or a trial will come, and the judgment will be something like, I know why X, Y, or Z is happening. This is why it's happening. Or we could say, God is tempting me. We'll, we'll pass judgments on our trials as though we can see the whole picture. We could even be quick to dismiss a trial, quick to get out of it, like, look, I'm good. I'll get over this on my own merit. Or maybe we'll be in the heat of a moment with, with, uh, with a loved one, and we, we won't really want to enter into whatever God is doing in the trial, so we'll dismiss it. We'll say, look, sweetheart, I'm sorry, I'll get over it. We'll, we'll do better. Or maybe we'll use manipulation and deception to get out of the fires of the trial. Or we could even uh, pronounce judgment over the trial itself or its power on us. We could enter into something difficult in our lives that God sends, and we could claim that we'll never get over it. Or we could claim that things will never change. But what God's word does is it beckons us away from these judgments. Because it says, do, do not be quick to speak. It knows what speaking does to us. This is quick to speak, being quick to speak, it robs us of the goodness God intends to bring us through the testing. Because we're haughty enough to think we actually know what's going on. And we don't always. God says that his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He sees the whole picture and often we can't. And so going on from there, 
it says, attached to being quick to hear and slow to speak, be slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So when you come to Christ, according to Romans 3, God pronounces over you Christ's righteousness. We have that righteousness. We have been declared righteous. But here, James is speaking of how we can live into moral righteousness. Uh, He's echoing Jesus' Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, if anyone is quick to anger, he will be subject to judgment. And if anyone is insulting his brother, he will be subject to the council. And if anyone says, you fool, will be subject to hell. Jesus encouraged us in the Sermon on the Mount to be slow to anger, and so does, so does James. What's nice, though, is James does give us room for it. He says, be slow to anger. So we can infer that there is a place for anger, but being quick to anger, that's the problem. Being quick to anger is the problem because when we are, what will naturally be produced is proclamations over our situations and people that aren't necessarily true. Out of our fractured life, when we, when we are quick to anger, we can pronounce things over people and our words will bring death, not life. We can even pronounce things over ourselves and over our situations and even worse, we could begin to believe it. So our quickness to anger is our assumption that we are seeing things how they really are, just like being quick to, or quick to speak. And all of it, it just robs God's place in the trials or what God's trying to do through the trials and that is to direct us to wholeness. So be quick to hear the word. Be slow to speak. Be slow to anger. Going on in verse 21, uh, James, he shows that we can't necessarily control tests and trials, but we can do this. In verse 21, it says, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So James points to what is under our control, our behavior. You see, anger does not produce God's moral righteousness. So James points to what does. He says, put away all filth, all moral wickedness. It's the idea of like wearing clothes, like white clothes, and they're dirty because we've lived out of our fractured lives and they're stained. And James says, put those away, put on new clothes. And he says, humbly accept the word, the word of truth that's been implanted in you. You see, when we come to Christ, the promises of the word of God is that God writes his testimony on our hearts. And when we come to Christ, he fills us with the Holy Spirit. And what that Holy Spirit does is it leads and guides us by his word toward wholeness and away from the fracturing. So we're to receive that implanted word, allowing it to guide us through the tests and trials of life, ultimately leading us to the salvation promised on the last day. And James goes on, he says, do not just hear, do not just receive, be a doer of that word. Verse 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. So James is keeping us safe from the danger and the prevalence in his day and in ours of claiming to be in Christ and then failing to lead a Christian life. He's, he's saving us from it. And in verse 23 and 24, he gives us this, this illustration, a foolish illustration, one that should, it comes close to home. It says, if anyone is a hearer of the word and a doer and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. That just seems so foolish that one would go in and look at his face and then immediately go away and, and just forget 
he illustrates this foolishness and when, and it's a foolishness that is so relatable because when we hear the word of God in our tests and trials, when we hear it, when we know it, and we immediately go and live contrary, it's foolishness. It's leading on to more and more fracturing and living out of the fractured life. If we recognize that, it should make us really reflect on how implanted that word really is. If we are Christ and we are really born again, then any discovery that we are living contrary to his testimony should lead us to repentance. And this gospel, the gospel of what he has done for us in Christ, does bring forgiveness in that repentance. And it brings the encouragement that we need to live by the transforming power of the Spirit and continue moving forward in wisdom. And James tells us in verse 25 what's preferred to this illustration. He says, But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So the law of liberty and the word of truth, those are closely connected, uh, oftentimes synonymous. So the law of liberty, um, when we think of laws, sometimes we think of them as being restraining or constraining. And in fact, prior to Christ and our sinful nature, we would go to this word and we would look at the testimony and we would see things, take the Ten Commandments like do not lie, and we would see that, and we might, you know, muster up some morality and courage and stop lying for a little bit, but those laws would do nothing to change our hearts. And we would find ourselves just continuing on and on into the fractured life. Paul, he talked about covetousness before Christ. He said, when I look at the law and it says, do not covet, all the law did was produce in me more and more covetousness. But this law of liberty, what it's talking about is formerly this law was a law of death. It pronounced condemnation because we were powerless to fulfill it. But thankfully, Christ fulfilled the law on our behalf. And he sent and filled us with his spirit so that when we look at this law of life, the, life and, or the law on how to live whole lives, to no longer be fractured, the Holy Spirit gives us the power to live it out. And we will no longer be subject to condemnation, but rather we will be set free to live lives of wholeness. A practical example might be um, back home, I'm from Ohio, and it's an okay state, but we, we do have traffic laws, and they are laws, and they do restrain behavior, uh, but if when those laws are followed, and, and they often are, and they are enforced, there's seldom any accidents, and to be honest, when I want to go somewhere, I usually end up there in the time I expected, because there's laws that are put in place. But my last assignment, I was in the Middle East for a year, and if you've ever driven there, it's crazy. There might be laws, there, they might have them, but no one, at least in my experience, followed them, and they weren't enforced. And so when I was driving, I saw more wrecks than I had ever seen, and I was really never showing up to the place on time. So you have lawlessness and you have laws. One sets me free to live the life of wholeness, and the other one just leads to destruction. It leads to disorder. And that's like God's uh, laws in our life, is it sets us free to live uh, whole lives out of the fracturedness by the power of the Holy Spirit. But if we live to our own devices, watch out, because it'll only bring disorder. It'll only be, bring more and more fracturing. Often when we hear of laws, we think of constraints, but God's law brings freedom in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we need laws to have real freedom. In this law, the testimony of God and the Holy Spirit leads us to more and more wise living, freeing us from the burden of the fractured life and blessing us with wholeness. 
So going on, James gives us a diagnostic. The diagnostic of, hey, are you controlling your speech? Are you caring in the midst of your trials for those who are marginalized and need our help? And are we keeping ourselves from being unstained from the world? In verse 26, he says, if anyone considers himself religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So when we hear the word religious here, we can think, if, we could say, if anyone thinks he is piously devoted to God and outwardly, and yet does not control his speech, he deceives his heart and his religion is worthless. You see, to speak carelessly in the midst of trials and in the midst of life is dangerous for those who prefer to be followers of Christ because it can give slanderous testimonies of what God is really doing and who God really is. Because what the world does outside of us and what, and what we might even do ourselves is we look upon Christians and we say, that is what wholeness is to look like. And the Christian will be like, no, I'm looking to Christ. Let's all look to Christ. But the world still looks at us. And when, we, when we're quick to just speak and to speak out of anger like we looked at before, we're just deceiving our heart. Our outward devotion is worthless. We need to be slow to speak. We need to control our speech and really reflect on what we're saying. And secondly, James says that religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this, to visit orphans and widows and their destruction. You see, often when we get caught up in the trials of our own lives, our eyes, rightly so, can be on the trial. Like, we do need to focus there. But James says the wise living, the wise living in the power of the Holy Spirit is to take our eyes off of our situation and look to those who need our help to serve others. For Christ faced trials. You read that throughout all the Gospels. And yet he was solely devoted to the will of God and the service of the people. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do the same. And James says, in fact, if we're not doing that, our religion, it is worthless. And going on, he talks about being unstained from the world. We swim in the world that is stained. And it's the world we swim in. It's the way it is. And the way of the world is brokenness. The way of the world is being more and more fractured. And the way of God is wholeness. And James says, we can keep ourselves from being unstained by the world. He's giving us direct, a direct path toward wisdom. Without God's word, the boundaries of, of a life lived fractured and a life lived whole in God begin to get really blurred. And we begin to confuse the two. We might have hard hearts that begin to say, yeah, you're in Christ and this behavior is okay. What, what James is saying is like, no, understand what is the world. Understand what are its ways and remain unstained from it. And I want to reiterate, especially right here, because we can hear a lot of do's, a lot of do's. But without a true heart change and without the power of the Holy Spirit, without the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, this expectation of us is impossible. We will not live it out. But if you are here today and you claim to be in Christ and you claim that his Holy Spirit dwells in you, then we have an expectation that we're to live out because we can do it. Are we moving away from the fractured life and toward wholeness, away from the world and toward God? In closing, I want us to be encouraged that God has proclaimed that we are no longer bound to our fractured lives. In fact, he has given us a promise that is set for us with Christ in the future of total transformation. We are no longer bound to the fractured lives. 
and God and his goodness and in Christ alone filled us with his spirit and has given us his word of truth, this word, to lead us in wisdom so we can live the lives he has promised. And knowing that this word also tells us that the trials and tests that come are for our good, to lead us out of that fracturing and into wholeness. It's just sometimes uncomfortable. So the question we have to ask ourselves, is this word of truth that we proclaim to follow, this word of the truth that we're reading, are we quick to listen to it? Are we in it? Are we reading it? Are we studying it, discussing it, trusting it? By the power of the Holy Spirit, are we obeying it? And if not, and we recognize that, are we quick to repent and start? And then further, God doesn't leave us without. He gives us his Holy Spirit and he adopts us into his community. You see, we have Christians throughout this room who are filled with the Holy Spirit, living the same trials and and tribulations daily that everyone else is. And we need each other for the encouragement. It's one of the graces God has given us in his family. So are we surrounding ourselves with believers who are in the word, who can speak the truth of God's word over us and who can say, hey, come with me. Let's walk this life of wholeness together. And if not, we need to reflect on how we can become a part of that. And one of those ways is church membership, joining ourselves to a body of believers, becoming a member with them and walking alongside each other. And then going on, if we are failing the tests, are we really quick to repent? I think that's often the hardest thing for me is in in a test and trial, I get quick to anger. I might get quick to speak and I'll live that out maybe for weeks. But the honest truth is, if I am in this word and it shows me to live differently, I need to be quick to repent. And the promise in the gospel is that there there is forgiveness and there is a way out. There is the power of the Holy Spirit. God has given it to us. So James He's given us the way of wisdom. He's given us this book, and we're going to keep looking at it. There's going to be a lot of do's. Just know that it's the transforming power of the Spirit who enables you to be able to do it. God has given us a way out of the fractured life. That life that Lewis described, read those books. It's really good. It's a good illustration, being fractured, being bent. But just know that in Christ, God has proclaimed you whole. He has given us his Spirit, and he has given us the expectation to live into that. And may we, by the power of of his grace and his love, be doers of the word and not simply hearers. We live in a broken world that needs to hear this message. And maybe sometimes even more than hearing it, they need to see it too. And we as Christians have that opportunity. So may we hold each other up as a community. May we remind each other of who we are in Christ, that we can walk this path of wisdom together. And may we continue to progress toward the total transformation God has promised us. And it happens by living according to the power of his spirit and obeying the word of God. So may we do it as one body and one family. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for not leaving us without. God, that you entered into this story, the story of our rebellion, and you have You have done a work that just brings me joy. God, it just, it brings us wholeness, the wholeness that we need. And it all points back to you, that God, you are the hero of this story. You have adopted us as rebel children back into your family, reconciling us to you in Christ. And God, you have given us your spirit 
to continue to live away from fractured lives and into the wholeness that you have for us in Christ. That one day, on the last day, when we are saved and totally transformed, God, we can look back on our lives and say, this is what I have lived for. And this is what the power of the Holy Spirit has done. So I bless you, Father. And I ask that as we leave this place, that we will be reminded of this wisdom, that we will be encouraged by the power of your spirit to live it out, and that we will live on mission together as one family. I thank you, God. Amen.